Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series. Your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the Invest in Women podcast series and to advocate on the industry's behalf to attract new, diverse talent. Schwab Advisor Services is passionate about supporting independent registered investment advisors with the insights and strategies needed to grow their business. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. Brenda O'Connor Juanas is here with us today, Senior Vice President of Wealth Management at UBS. Brenda, thank you for being with us today. No, thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I'm excited to be here. Happy New Year. I'm not sure if you're, I'm still allowed to say Happy New Year. It's January yes. 13th. I never know the cutoff, but thank you for having me. Yes. Well, I mean, we're recording this on Friday the 13th, so and it's a lucky day, right? And Happy New Year. And I'm glad you brought that up because it is important to talk about because I think for a lot of people mentally, when a new year starts, it's like, okay, now I'm going to reset, refresh, see what I'm not doing right and try to start doing something well. And, you know, I wanted to touch first on the fact that you work with business owners. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times when we talk about the financial industry, we talk about individual clients who are thinking about retirement, but when it comes to business owners, they you know, you assume that they have their act together and they know everything because they own a business, but they really need to keep an eye on their financial financial portfolio. And let's talk about this year. You got a new year, a new mindset. What should they be thinking about? Right. And we could talk a little bit later broadly what's happening in the economy, but what I'm talking to my business owner clients about and what I'm hearing from them as well is really three things. And listen, the writing is on the wall. Things do and feel like they're looking better, that we're towards the end of the tunnel than the beginning. But there are three important messages that we are talking to our business owner clients about. Number one, you have to stay resilient and flexible. And even though this positivity is in the air, it could take longer than you think for things to normalize. And that really leads into point number two, to expect the worst case scenario. So expect that things are going to be challenging for six to 12 months longer than you anticipate, just so you have the wherewithal to navigate the worst case scenario. And the third thing we're really seeing and speaking to our clients about is the opportunity to be exactly that opportunistic. These dislocations in markets that we've seen in the last 12 to 18 months do create opportunities for business owners, do create opportunities to take advantage of weaker competitors, for example. So if business owners have the capital to spend to acquire smaller competitors, that's going to be a really interesting opportunity coming into 2023. And I want to say one more thing, and we can dive into sure. each of those things specifically, how you actually do that revolves around how you're going to navigate three specific things that are going to drive markets. And that's inflation, rates, and growth. And we can talk about each of those separately, because they mean very different things in what in terms of what business owners should be doing positioning wise. Yeah, well, let's jump in. But first, I want to ask more of a psychology question about um, business owners, because if you try to give them this advice without having gone through a pandemic, I assume they may or may not listen to you, you know, because before the pandemic, the, you know, the economy was doing great. But mm -hmm. now that they've gone through <laughs> what they've gone through for almost three years, I'm mm -hmm. assuming that their ears are a little more open to you and they probably have 
I don't know, more real examples or real struggles that they've gone through that they can relate to what you're saying better. Right. And I think you bring up an interesting point because the pandemic was beneficial to some business owners. Some business owners thrived, particularly those in e-commerce, particularly those that were selling TVs or things that we used at home because so many of us were stuck at home. But the second phase of the pandemic, I think, was really what jolted business owners. And that happened last year. And that's what happened in the markets and primarily with rates. We saw interest rates jump from the largest percentage that we've seen in decades. And that really impacted sentiment. It impacted borrowing costs. It impacted financial markets and access to capital that these businesses need in order to grow. So there are really two dichotomies that played out over the last three years, both positive and negative, that have really kind of dislocated how business owners and founders navigating, growing and running their businesses. Well, I guess you get into routine, right? We all do. It's human nature that once you're in a system, you adapt to that system and you just assume that system is going to be running consistently from here on out. But like you said, you get used to on your books having a certain interest rate. And then it, it's like, wait a second, this is, oh, wait, hold, it's going up again. So you talked earlier about, you know, just being flexible, being adaptable. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would assume that, like you said, you have to really think throughout this year to have to be ready for any negative changes that may take effect in your business. Right. And I mean, this is not just affecting business owners. Look at everyone who has a mortgage. Mortgages two years ago were priced in the twos. We had mortgage rates up to 7% last year. That is dramatically different. That affects how people buy, how they spend, how they invest, how they save. So these changes happen so rapidly across the ecosystem that it affected investors. It affected people like you and me. It affected mm -hmm. business owners. It affected founders that had interesting startups. It was really this precipitous effect because of what the Fed was doing. It all comes down to what the Fed was doing last year and what inflation was doing. So when business owners, you know, are talking to you, Brenda, about these things, I mean, like you said earlier, you came down to a basic, here's what, you know, three steps, here's what you need to think about, but go into more detail about what they can expect to do in their own structure here in the next six to 12 months. Okay. And let me break it down, Melissa, in terms of those three things I talked about. So to continue on the rates, now I'm going to get a bit technical here on what the Fed funds is expected to do, but bear with me. And so when you look at the futures curve, which tells you what the market thinks rates are going to do, the market is expecting that interest rates, the Fed fund rate will get close to 5% towards the middle of the year, and then come down to four and a half percent towards the end of the year. Now, if you listen to what the Fed officials are actually saying, their message is slightly different. They think that interest rates will stay over 5%. None of them, not one single one that was surveyed in the minutes that were released last week, think that there's going to be any sort of pause or drop in rates for this year. And what that means for business owners at the end of the day is that borrowing costs are going to be more expensive this year. Expect another 12, potentially 18 more months where borrowing costs are going to be expensive. And so the implication there is that businesses need to be maniacal about managing their balance sheet. They need to pay down their credit facilities when they can. They need to make sure that they can service that interest. They need to make sure that they're shoring up cash to navigate a higher interest rate environment. And so this is something, frankly, that business owners had didn't have to worry about 
two years ago when interest rates were zero, but this is a big focus of just being able to survive the next 12 months in this high interest rate environment. So that's really what we're hearing and we're speaking to business owners about when it comes to, to interest rates. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that, you know, because I think of individuals and a lot of times people talk, oh, well, don't forget about taxes. Don't forget about, you know, that you're going to be impacted by taxes potentially. And if you are more tax efficient, then you'll be better off. Is that the same mm-hmm. for small businesses or business owners as well? Is that they need to keep an eye also on, like you said, rates, as well as all these other things that could be just kind of bleeding out or seeping out some of their profits? Sure. I mean, taxes are a big part of being an individual investor, but also a business owner. We see this a lot as business owners get closer to a liquidity event or a transaction. There are interesting things you can do on the tax side in terms of residency. So where I live in Florida, a lot of business owners consider pre-liquidity event relocating states for that advantageous tax advantage. Um, But the other thing that investors and particularly business owners care about, and I think they should care about this year, are two other things that I mentioned. So inflation and growth. And we've heard so much about inflation over the last 12 months. It affects us all, but it affects business in, in a slightly different way. Well, I am not a business owner. It intimidates me. <laughs> so yeah. I think, it, and I'm. if you are a business owner, I'm sure it intimidates you as well. And so I think there's an importance to working with somebody like it, it. I assume if you're working in the financial industry as a business owner, you work with somebody to help you with your own finances. Is that a naive mm-hmm. perception? <laughs> Is it a case where we need to tell business owners, look, don't forget you may service individual clients, but don't forget that you need to be serviced as well. Yeah, the one thing I talk to a lot of business owner clients about is that there's this tendency, if you're running a business, that you eat, you live, you work, you sleep your business, all you are fixated on is the success of your business and growing it and helping your customers and you know taking care of your employees, sometimes at the expense of yourself. And this is important because as you grow your business, and if you're lucky enough to have a transaction or a liquidity event where you're selling to a competitor or even going public, your personal situation matters. And that's why it's so important to get structured appropriately, to hire the best accountants and lawyers to help ensure that you maintain your equity, to ensure you're structured in a way that post a liquidity event or sale, that you're putting the most number of dollars in your pocket versus to taxes or to to other uh, stakeholders in the sale. So I tend to find that some business owners tend to neglect their personal situation because they're so heads down focused on their business. And I think that this can be a mistake, frankly. Mm -hmm. Well, now I love hearing you talk about this because I always think that that people who are passionate about something is infectious, right? So you hear somebody, I mean, you get, you can tell that you just, you know, so much and you're trying to get so much out because you really want to help the business owners and you want to help your clients. I'm curious, Brenda, what brought you into this industry in the first place? Because you can tell that you're really, I don't know, that it's really connected with you. Yeah. And my story is that I've been doing this for for 14 years. I specifically chose to go into wealth management. I went to business school and I was living and working in Manhattan. And this part of finance attracted me because it had all the things that I cared about and was passionate about. And as importantly, that I thought I would be good at. I don't think I would ever be a particularly 
good investment banker. And the one piece of advice for example, that a good friend told me is that if you're in a job or in an internship and you look to your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss, and you look at their lives and you understand who they are and you don't want to be that person, then you're in the wrong industry. Mm. And so when I got into wealth management and I looked at my boss and boss's boss and boss's boss's boss, and I saw their lives, I saw what they did. I saw what their work-life balance was like. I saw what they aspire to do. That's something I wanted to do. So I was very focused on following this path. And listen, it definitely has not always been easy. I've had a ton of struggles and hurdles of, and we can talk about those, but I think where I am now really solidifies that this was the right move and right career for me. And the fact that you can hear the passion in my voice is not vain. Like I love what I do. I love that I get to work with interesting business owners and entrepreneurs. I always tell people that I don't particularly work with big family offices of legacy or storied families. I work with people and entrepreneurs that build companies, that create things that change how we live and how we work, how we shop, how we talk. And for me, that is incredibly cool. And I don't think everyone gets to do that. So I actually feel very grateful that that's the path I've carved out for myself. Well, when you said, when you looked at your bosses and bosses, bosses, and you mentioned <laughs> work-life balance, and I think for a lot of people, for and correct me if I'm wrong. I think women have driven that that challenge from the start, right? Now men are on the bandwagon too about work-life balance, but I really think that for women in in any industry, they were like, look, I really do need to either be with my children, be with other family members, you know, if they're caretakers, it's like need to have both or just to enjoy my life on my own. You know, so I, I think that when, you know, women, especially if they're in this industry are looking for that, I mean, the fact that you have achieved that and that's something that you openly talk about in your company and strive for, I think that's very important. And I think it's, for me personally, I think it's very inspiring because I think that would probably help you be more passionate about your job. For sure. And Melissa, I have two young daughters. They're four and six. My four-year-old's going on 15, but I want to spend time <laughs> with them. I'm not naive to think that this moment isn't fleeting. They're going to be teenagers in a second, and I don't want to miss that. But at the same token, I because I have daughters, I'm modeling for them. I'm signaling for them. So I want them to see their mother doing something meaningful, doing something that's financially rewarding. As much as people don't talk about that, I think it's important to do something that they are satisfied with. And I do believe that I'm modeling for that, modeling that for my daughter. Say one more thing. I, I think that being a woman with a family, with other things that are happening in my life other than the career I love, makes me relevant to the clients I work with. It allows me to connect. It allows me to resonate with them because at the end of the day, I'm managing money, I'm picking stocks, I'm putting portfolios together. But above all, what I do is I work with people and I need to find ways to connect and being a mom and having a family and doing all these things that I just mentioned helps me to do that in a really powerful way. Well, and I think that it helps, yes, the business owners relate to you and it helps take this, I don't know, I don't want this, the intimidation. I'm trying to think of another word. Like I think for a lot of people, they assume when it comes to any kind of wealth management that you have to be extremely wealthy in order to get any kind of management and wealth is wealth. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that it, for me, I think it would help a lot of women, business owners or individuals 
to understand, wait a second, this is also what I can do, right? Because, you know, we have hopefully getting out of that idea that money equals men, fathers are the ones that handle the money, the mothers don't, that kind of thing. But there's some families that still pass that tradition down. And I think it's very unfortunate and it's detrimental to the women in your family. Absolutely. I I also think that in terms of being relevant and being able to resonate, I run my own business and I work at EBS. I'm an employee of a firm, but I'm running my own business. I have my own P&L. I'm growing my clients. So that allows me to really relate to clients because I understand what they are doing. They are also building businesses. The other thing I would say, and you talked about this a little bit in terms of, of wealth, The business owner clients that I work with today, some of them are billionaires. Some of them have had incredible stories where they've had successful companies, but some of the businesses and founders I work with, you wouldn't know who they are. You wouldn't recognize their companies. And that's because I've made this very concerted effort to partner with founders early because here's my thesis. Elon Musk, he's not going to pick up my phone call right now. He has thousands of people that are, are soliciting his business. But if I can get a founder early, someone who I believe in what they're doing and building a business that's interesting, someone who will take my advice, who needs my help along their journey, that's going to be, that's going to pay dividends along the way. And that engenders a very real type of loyalty that you cannot replicate later down that business owner's path. So you know, I'm very, very concerted and I, I really focus on partnering with founders early in their journey. I think that's very smart. And then, I mean, it, and it's, uh, you grow together and it's probably, exactly. it's like another child where you see them develop. It's like, oh, look, you're doing so good. <laughs> Your business is Absolutely. so big. So, you know, before we close out, you mentioned earlier about struggles and challenges. I'm just curious as a woman in particular, has any of those challenges been because you're a woman and as a woman, what challenges or even advantages to your gender have you found in this business? Okay, so the answer is yes. There have been <laughs> a lot of challenges because of my gender. And my story is I've worked in New York. I've worked in Australia. I've worked in Canada. So I've also seen gender challenges in different markets. Now, I've been doing this business for 14 years. And in the course of that time, the world has changed and specifically my business has changed, but I remember starting out as an advisor in my twenties in New York. I mean, I was hustling Melissa for business. I was trying everything and anything to do to get new clients, to build my personal brand. And it was really, really tough. And it didn't matter that I I went to an Ivy League school or that I had this pedigree of the best firms on Wall Street. The one thing that really frustrated me when I was in a room with a prospective client was this expectation that I needed a man with me, that I couldn't do it by myself, that I needed gray hair in the room. Now, I hope that's changed for younger women who are in this business today, because frankly, the world has changed for the last five, five years, over the last five years, really. But that was extraordinarily um, difficult for me. And it took me years to overcome that and to break through those stereotypes and it was also frustrating because often when I did have men in the room, I was smarter than them. I was right. better than them. I knew that, but I needed them beside me as a credibility check. And that was something that was very difficult from a psyche perspective, um, from a logistics perspective, just to navigate how to be taken seriously and how to be you know, understood for your own worth. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and like you said, I hope things are changing and you're one of the people that is changing this. So Brenda, thank you so much for being a part of the show and, and thank you for helping the clients that you help because hopefully, you know, there's those listening, like, wait a second, I need some help too. So again, thank you so much. It's a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for listening to invest in women, the podcast series, your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.